Now, take your Bibles and open them back up with me to Romans chapter 9. And let me let, just let you know that I'm a very sensitive person. And um, my, I'm, I'm being wounded uh, grievously. Uh, Tracy Chisholm told me that she didn't expect to finish Romans before her grandmotherhood, which uh, that wounds me. <laughs> um, Tracy Chisholm, I think, is about 26. Um, but guys, let, let me let me just. This is a classic text to illustrate my point. Um, we're going to look at um, verses four and five for a while. But let me just let me just try to explain my dilemma. Um, let me just read verses four and five to you, and I'll explain my dilemma. Um, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. You know, I really shouldn't have read that isolated like that. Um, I should have joined it to uh, verse 3 at least, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Guys, um, here's what the Apostle Paul is doing. I've told, I told you in our, in our previous look at these verses that verses 1 through 3, Paul is displaying um, a, a real reverence for and love for his kinsmen according to the flesh. Jews. That's, he was a Jew. And um, then in verses 4 and 5, Paul is telling us why he grieves so. That is, he makes this, this, um, this incredible statement in verse 3, um, which we've already looked at, and I said, it's, it's as if he's saying, if it, if it could do any good, if it could have possibly done any good, I'd be damned for them. Now, he knows better than that. But, um, but these two verses, verses 4 and 5, it, it, explain why he is so grieved for Judaism. And what he does in verses 4 and 5 is, is amplify um, his grief by telling you the privileged position that Israel had uh, enjoyed. Um, what he does in verses 4 and 5 is mention a series, I think there's eight of them, of the unique privileges that Israel had enjoyed... And, and by, by mentioning these eight privileges, what he is saying is, I am grieved that they are where they are right now. And these are a people who had so many privileges. Now guys, every, um, um, <laughs> look at these words. Um, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants. Now, I, I, I pause over the, the covenants word because I'm a covenantal theologian. Do you know how long I could spend explaining covenantal theolo- theology? Do you know how much richness there is to be found over covenantal theology in the, in the Old and New Testaments? Do you know where I could take you just by pausing over that one word? 
We can spend the rest of this year and next year just talking about covenants. My point being, I'm deeply wounded. <laughs> um, uh, guys, this, this is one of those, this is an illustration of, of my dilemma. Yes, we could go very rapidly over those, and I could say there's, there's eight of them right there, and there's all of there's the work. Or we could spend some time explaining a little bit about what. Guys, I'm going to spend a whole Wednesday night just on the word covenants. And, and that doesn't do it justice. I, I bet you that some of what is known about the covenant is, um, is going to be new for you. Um, there's only two of them. There's only two covenants, a covenant of works and a covenant of grace. And we'll talk about that. But I, I'm just trying to let you know why this takes long. What you've got in verses, verses, basically in verses 4 and 5 is a summary of Old Testament history in those words. Uh, to them belong, that is to, the, to, the, to Israel belongs uh, the adoption, the glory, the covenant. We'll talk about the glory, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. I mean, we can talk about the patriarchs for weeks. But all of those things are just designed to, to tell you or to explain to you why Paul is so grieved. L- l- let me give you the best illustration I could come up with. All of us know people that wasted privilege and opportunity and ability. When I was at UT, um, you know, I, I've told you before, if I haven't, let me tell you now. <laughs> um, I went to school on a baseball scholarship. The baseball team lived on the third floor. Um, across from the baseball team was kind of a collection. There was the golf team. There was part of the track team. But uh, there weren't many golf scholarships. Um, so there wasn't, you know, there's not a big golf team. There's only six of them on the golf team. Um, but the baseball team is a little bit bigger. And, and of course, the football team was huge. And, but um, we live right across from the golf team. And um, there was a golfer back then who became a friend of mine. And he's a Memphian, Memphis boy, and was just born with ability. In fact, some of you, if you're golfers, you'll recognize these names. I'm not going to use his name, but in 1968 or 69, one of those years, I think it was 69, the SEC championship was played on a course in Knoxville. The SEC golf championship was held at, um, uh, I forget the name of the golf course, but in, in Knoxville. So all these golfers from all over the SEC came to Knoxville to play in the SEC championship. Well, if you know anything about golf, you play number one or number two or number three or number four or number five or number, number six. And so the number six plays, the number six from Tennessee plays against the number six from Florida. And the number five plays, plays the number five against uh, uh, Auburn. You know, that kind of thing. Well, the... Two number one golfers, the, the, the ones that came to the, the, the uh, what do they call it, the championship round, that's not what it, flight maybe, was this friend of mine and a guy by the name of Steve Melnick. If you know anything about golf, you know the name Steve Melnick? Melnick played at Florida. He went on to have a decent pro career. But he is a commentator, and I don't think he's doing it anymore, but he did for years for ABC. He was one of those guys that, you know, sat at the little desk and commented on the golf tournament as, 
And he just added color. Anyway, so it was Melnick against my buddy. And um, they came to the 18th hole, and it, it, they were all even. And Melnick, who had quite a career, beat my buddy on the 18th hole of the last hole. So he won one up on the last hole. Well, my point is, this fellow that I knew um, went on to get his uh, PGA card. And, um, you know, he never really practiced that much. He just was good. But I, I remember the, the, the only time I really saw him excel in one of the PGA uh, Tour tournaments was in Hawaii. And he led it through the first three rounds, and then I think he lost on, the, on Sunday, finished second or something like that. Anyway, so all I'm trying to tell you is this young man, uh, that was my age, uh, in fact, older, but uh, in fact, he did play in the uh, Legends Tour for a couple of years, for several years, um, or the Champions Tour, whatever it's called. But uh, he got his card from the PGA, and he probably lost it four different times. You know why? He drank too much. He drank too much in college. He drank too much after college. And he drank away uh, a very promising professional golf career. Because he couldn't control how much he drank. You know, my point is, it was sad to watch him disintegrate. Because he had so much ability and privilege. He was just good. But he wasted it because he drank too much. Last time I heard, he was up in Buffalo working at a country club somewhere in New York and working at a country club as, as a goth pro. But guys, everybody's got stories like that. My point is, that's what Paul is doing with Israel. He's saying, I'm so grieved over what, over my kinsmen according to the flesh, because don't you understand? They, they had the covenants. They had the givings of the law. They had the patriarchs. And so what he is doing is listing the privileges that, that accrued to this nation that makes their, their present position and their position during Paul's just so tragic. And, you know, it's sad to watch a young man waste his life because he drank too much and he didn't get to make scads and scads of money on the PGA Tour because he couldn't drink too much. That's sad. But Paul's grief has to do with the eternal destiny of, of his kinsmen according to the flesh. And that's what these two verses are. Um, I am grieved, and if I could, I would die in their place. If it ever worked, I'd do it. But, of course, it wouldn't work, but I would do it. But don't you understand my grief? These are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises, and them belong the patriarchs. And, by the way, I, I should point this out, too. And from them belong, uh, no, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. But guys, you don't know this yet. You're going to see it in maybe three or four weeks. There is more written about the last half of verse five than on the entire epistle in toto. There is such controversy 
over that last half of verse 5. You didn't know it was there, but it's... It, so, my point is, you could spend <laughs> months talking about the controversy that's contained in that little text. We'll spend a little bit of time. But I, I just wanted you to, you know, feel my pain. Now, so I, I hope you get a sense for... Um, what this passage is doing, and what we're going to do is look at each of these privileges individually. Um, what, the, what they do is, in essence, give us this masterful summary of the Old Testament, or at least Old Testament Jewish history. Um, and you can see the role, <coughs> at least I think you, I hope you can, the role that's played by the Old Testament in understanding the New Testament. Guys, I've said this in, in private before. Um, and now I'll say it in public, uh, and, I, and I don't think there's anything really horrible about this. Maybe you've heard of the, the Wycliffe Bible translators. Uh, maybe you send them money, the Wycliffe Bible translators. Guys, they're a wonderful organization. Wycliffe, the, the kingdom of God has benefited because of the great work of Wycliffe. You know what Wycliffe does? Wycliffe translates the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they, they go all over these dark places and translate the Bible and give these tribes the Bible in their native tongue. That's a wonderful thing. But could I complain just for a moment? My complaint is this. When Wycliffe does its work, and it's a, it's a wonderful work, they end up translating the New Testament. Now, guys, that's a wonderful thing. But the problem is, you never hear of Wycliffe translating the Old Testament. You don't ever hear that. Guys, you can walk into... Um, let me tell you why that's sad. <laughs> you can walk into a, the average Christian bookstore, and you can go to the lady that runs the bookstore, or the man, and, says, um, and say, could you, could you point me to the section of your bookstore that contains books about Jesus Christ. Boy, they'll take you over this section in the, in the there's, there's all about his birth and everything. There's tons of books about Jesus Christ. And by the way, as Jimmy said a moment ago, you don't, um, maybe not sing too many songs, but if you went into the same bookstore, you said, could you take me to the section in your bookstore that has books containing uh, information about the Holy Spirit? Oh, you'd find a ton of books. ton of books about the Holy Spirit. Now, go into that same bookstore and say, by the way, could you take me to the section where you have books containing information that are wholly and solely devoted to God the Father? They wouldn't have any. Maybe one Guys, the only two books, and that's not, well, I'm sure there are more. The only two books that I know of dedicated to the God, the first person of the Trinity is J.I. Packer's Knowing God and Stephen Charnock's, who is 19th century, um, the, the Attributes and Something of God, something like that. I mean, it's a three-volume set. I got it. I started reading it one time. I didn't make it very far. But my point is this, guys. Tell me, what is the best book commonly available on God the Father that is available to us all? 
the Old Testament. And guys, some of our distorted notions about God comes as a result of somebody telling you that you didn't need to read your Old Testament. Whoever told you that, they didn't do you a service. Ladies and gentlemen, this book is put together by God the Holy Spirit, as we all know. We consider it inerrant, uh, infallible, um, without admixture, without um, contradiction. This book was put together by the Holy Spirit, and guess what? When the Holy Spirit put it together, he started with lots and lots of information about God the Father. And somebody told us that that wasn't important anymore, that we just needed to spend our time in the New Testament. I think this text in in Romans chapter 9 is just one way to illustrate, oh, no, 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 no. You you need to know your, I mean, for instance, uh, all this stuff that Paul mentions here, it's all Old Testament stuff. It's all things, it's all history of the Old Testament, you know. Um, Understanding the Old Testament is a a prerequisite of understanding the New. Guys, um, don't even don't even start on the book of Hebrews until you've read your Old Testament, because you you won't make any sense out of that uh, that book without the old without a, 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 a fair kind of grasp of um, of the Old Testament. There are terms in the New Testament that are completely ununderstandable. That's not a very good word, is it? They, they, you can't understand certain terms that are contained in the New Testament apart from the Old Testament. The, the two testaments are intermingled. is what, and so, so when I say Wycliffe has done us a great service, yes, they have. But I wish they'd go back now and translate the Old Testament. Of course, the Greek language is a whole lot easier to translate than the, than the, than the Hebrew language. Well, anyway, what you're seeing in verses 4 and 5 is this, is this, it's just a masterful summary of Old Testament Jewish history. And we're going to take a brief look at each one of these words. Okay, having said all that, uh, he starts by saying they're Israelites. You know, it's interesting, he doesn't say they're Jews. He doesn't say they're Hebrews. He says... They're Israelites. Now, guys, why does he use that term and not Jews? And I, I, I can't be altogether sure, but let me let me give you a hint or a suggestion. The term Jew is a term that in Pauline language, in Pauline writing, seems to be used when he's talking about a comparison between Jew and Gentiles. You you see it done. Oh, you see it done in ten chapter, chapter ten, verse twelve. Um, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. When he's talking about Gentiles, he uses the term, when he's making that comparison, he uses the, uses the term Jew. The other term, Hebrew, is a term that he normally uses to refer to the language that Jews spoke. But when he talks about Israelites, what he does is take us all the way back to the 
the marvelous series just preached here by good old Dr. Young. He takes us all the way back to Genesis 32. You remember when Jacob is wrestling with God? And he says, um, he says, you know, Jacob says to God, what's your name? And God doesn't answer. And then God says, what's yours? And he says, my name is Jacob. And Jacob says, uh-uh. I mean, God says, uh-uh. It's not Jacob anymore. It's Yisrael. It's Israel. Um, you know, one of the... Let, let me read you this. This is from John chapter 1. Don't turn. But um, it's described... He says, Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's what the term Israelite refers to. His own people. That is the most honored people in all the world was the Israelite people. Um, God enters into this unique relationship with Israelites. He chooses them. And He is entered into a relationship with them that He doesn't enter with any other nation. It is that nation, the nation of Israel, that God will bring about redemption through this people, this people Israel. The term Israel emphasizes the unique relationship that Israel, or that these people, had to God. They are a peculiar people. They're the peculiar people of God. Um, this is kind of an interesting statement. This is in John chapter 1. Um, I, maybe I shouldn't introduce this now. Maybe I should hold on to later. But Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed. What did he mean by that? He sees Nathanael coming and he says, There's an Israelite indeed. Because, ladies and gentlemen, all of Israel was not converted. But this was one that apparently was. But, but know this much, gang. Paul considers being a part of the nation of Israel, even though not every member of that nation was a converted member of that nation, he considers being a part of that nation a privilege. It's a benefit. There is advantage even though you are only um, superficially related. You know, guys, it's beneficial to be a part of a church, even though I have not yet embraced this Savior as my own. There is good that comes about just by being around them, even though I have not yet embraced their Savior. There's a beauty, there's a benefit, there's an advantage just being close to that bunch. Paul considers it just being in that crowd was an advantage. Now, move to the second word. We got ten minutes, and I think I'll can cover this word in ten minutes. They are Israelites, and to them belong 
the adoption. Now, guys, he used that word over in chapter 8, verse 15. Yes, there it is. Um, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And there Paul is describing Christians. Is that what he means by this term? No, he can't. Because not all of Israel was indeed um, familial, familially related to the Heavenly Father. But it, there are some there are some similarities. Um, I want you to see this, guys, and then I want to sh- tell you something. I want you to go to Exodus chapter four with me. When when Paul is using this word in in Romans nine, he is describing the great privilege that Israel had by having this unique family relationship with. With God. That is, Israel had a familial relationship with God that no other nation in all the earth enjoyed. Now, I want you to see this, guys. This is in Exodus chapter 4. Um, let me read to you, beginning of verse 22, 4.22. This is Moses speaking to Pharaoh, or at least God telling him what to say to Pharaoh. He says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now do you see what God said there? He says, Israel, I am in a familial relationship with Israel, and I ain't anybody else. And they're my firstborn son. Now, that that's that's a compelling to me. And, I, and I'll show you why. Keep that in mind and, and see if you can find John 5 real quick. Guys, um, um, Judaism kept all kinds of books, the, you know, the, uh, the Halakha and the, you know, all these little uh, commentaries on the law. And one of the things that they had was these copious lists of names for God. I mean, you've heard of, um, oh, that's not supposed to work. Um, Elohim. You've heard of El Shaddai. Uh, you've heard of L-O-E. Um, you've heard of El Sadak. Um, you've, you've heard of some of these names. They had long lists of names that they could use to address God. And yet, conspicuous by its absence was the term Father. When they had every right to... I mean, he says it in... That's why I showed you Exodus 4. God says, you tell him. You tell Pharaoh that Israel is my firstborn son. But they could not... Oh, they could say all that. But they could not bring themselves to say that. Now, if you're in John 5, let me show you something. Um, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only, verse 18, 518, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now, guys. I don't know what you hear, 
um, when when Jesus dis- uh, addresses his father as father. I'm simply showing you what his Jewish audience heard. When he addre- uses the term, my father, except in verse 17, my father is working until now. When he uses that term, they say, oh, oh, you know, we got to kill him. Not only is it bad enough that he's violating the Sabbath, you know what else he's doing? By using this term, he's making himself equal to the Father. Now guys, with that in mind, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Hey Jesus, would you be so kind as to teach us to pray? And he says, I'll be glad to. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father. Ladies and gentlemen, that was utterly scandalous to a Jewish set of ears. We have done it for so long, so often, it's become second nature to us. And yet, Jesus is allowing the people of God into a or is encouraging and promoting among the people of God a relationship with God that was completely unheard of. Now, it was unheard of, unfortunately, because Jews or Israel refused to use it. Because you can see that they had to warn it to use it in Exodus 4. But ladies and gentlemen, you're given that access because you're in filial not political, not national, not relation, not um, uh, friendly, but familial. Now, guys, I'm going to take my last four minutes and say a couple of things. This afternoon, um, I think I've told you this before, but the staff gets together on 2 o'clock on Wednesday afternoons. And we, we study a book together. And Jeff Sample is usually responsible for picking the books, and boy, does he do a good job. Um, this book kind of started, that we're studying now, started kind of slow. But, oh, boy, it's, it's picked up. It's, um, and that one of the chapters that we read for today discussed this issue. The issue in, the, in this particular chapter had to do with people who find this term very, very difficult Because, say they, my earthly father was so abusive. He was so mean. Um, You know, I, I can't bring myself to enjoy God being my father because of the, the scars that I bear inflicted by my own father. Now, guys... Let me, let me say real quickly, because I know there's somebody sitting there who says, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I was sexually abused. I, you know, I was early. I, you know. All right. It may be more difficult for some to get to the place where they can enjoy this. I'll grant you that. But guys, stop saying that. Not what I said, but stop saying that I can't enjoy this because of my father. Because it's it's fraught with danger. Let me give you a part of it. What we're saying, if 
I can't, I can't enjoy God because of Him. And if I can blame my problems on somebody else, then the responsibility for fixing my problems is somebody else's as well. Folks, um, life experiences, as bad as some of yours may have been, are no excuse for believing lies. And just because you've had a bad experience with an earthly father, that gives you no permission to say, oh, well, now I believe, you know, God can't be gracious and he can't be kind and he can't be benevolent. Gang, that's a very bad thing to say. Um, very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, my biggest problem is not my father. It's not God. My biggest problem is me. Um, you know, I'm afraid sin has so ravaged us, guys, that we um, people are looking for all kinds of ways to duck their responsibility for their own unbelief. And so they find my bad father. Guys, I'm sorry you had a bad father. It's a wicked world in which we live, and it's getting wickeder. And I know that some of you bear legitimate scars from your upbringing. Yes. But just because you had that, it, it is not permission for us to go on to believe, God, to believe lies about the Heavenly Father. Oh, no, no, no. We have the adoption. We've been, by grace, swept into a family such that now God has ceased, no, has not, that God no longer needs to terrify me as my judge and my condemner. No, no. Come to Jesus, and then He turns to us and He says, Okay. Now that you, you've embraced me, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father. That's for us, ladies and gentlemen. And Israel had that. And they were still determined in their unbelief. And for Paul, it overwhelmed him with greater. quit there. Our Father, I do pray that you will remind us of the great privileges that are ours now that we've stepped inside the household of faith. But to watch Israel take these advantages, to take these privileges, and not to that they would not lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ indeed. It's sad even 2,000 years later. But Lord, might we not be found in the same category of people who possess unbelievable privileges but privileges that do not lead us to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray, of course, in his name.